0: So we hear a lot about postural concerns in the fitness world, particularly around uh, for desk sitters or text neck and a lot of that. But you know, one we don't hear a lot about is what I'm going to playfully call tits up ass out posture, throwing, sucking in your stomach and a pair of heels. And you've pretty much tackled the classic posture that a lot of women walk through their lives having and almost feeling like it's their normal way of walking, standing, strutting, what have you. But I am here to tell you uh, for any fitness enthusiast or fitness trainer that that posture right there, the one that we don't talk very much about could actually be the reason why your clients are experiencing low back pain and other crazy uh, dysfunctions in their body. So if that sounds like something you're going to be interested in, then this is the podcast episode for you. I'm Peyton Hughes I'm going to be interviewing Miss Kalina Ruskin, and she's going to be breaking down for us not just the science, not just the behavioral uh, psychology of what's going on with these women, but how you as an athlete or a trainer can make subtle, smart shifts into getting out of that posture and getting back into a much more natural, much more functional stance so that you can really train pain-free.
1: Welcome to the Gymnasio Podcast, where you get to peek behind the curtains of what it takes to create and run a seven-figure fitness facility that ranks in the top 5% of boutique fitness studios for revenue. But to be honest, that's the least important thing about us. Founded by me, Michael Hughes, Gymnasio has created an ecosystem of services that blend performance with restoration techniques and attracts top coaches to its facility hosted by its owners, Peyton and myself, and our top coaches. This podcast shares our best practices on everything from how to build a sustainable fitness business to how to program for maximum results to how to build a hybrid training module that's online and in person. We have marketing secrets, movement innovation, and breaking down trends in the industry. If you're a fitness professional or a fitness business owner, this is where you learn how to sharpen your skills and to see maximum results.
0: all right well welcome i'm having kalina ruskin join us she is a movement specialist here at gymnasio and our female pelvic floor specialist so she helps a lot of women deal with what's going on biomechanically in their body, where the dysfunction's showing up, and deals with some of the most random symptoms that clearly aren't random, that are all connected to the same kind of systemic issues going on for women. But today we called her in to the studio to talk about ass out, tits up, and how that little combo however we think is attractive as we waltz around the world in that posture is quite problematic for women. So welcome, Kalina. Thanks for having me. Okay, so talk to me about what's going on in that posture.
2: Yeah, so it's it's a behavioral posture. We totally see it like um, I'm going to, I'm going to pick on some CrossFit athletes. Like that's kind of like a standard female CrossFit athlete walk, or even just like power lifters, power lifters will walk that way. Um, women, we tend to do it cause we think we look good, like stick my ass out, tits out. Hell yeah. Like I'm going to parade this around, <laughs> but for a lot of us, it can cause dysfunction, um, with how we walk biomechanically with how it affects our low back and our upper back, especially because we're forcing this upright posture and we're forcing actually what we call lordosis is that severe arch in the low back Hmm. that doesn't feel good after long periods of time um
0: so is it so when you say it's behavioral i totally get that because when yoga pants became like okay to wear in public (laughs) in replacement of jeans yeah there was this whole but they make my ass look really good Uh, that kind of swept the nation i Mm -hmm. would say at least in america and a lot of women where it's cozy but like they think it shows off their curves in that way yeah and then of course in our country we prefer large-chested women in general yeah that seems to be the set like the sexual standard that we deal with and so as women we're kind of pushing out both curves to gain or just to feel confident probably in our bodies
2: that, they, you know, posture-wise, we always think we want to, like, stick our chest out. Like, you know, I was a, te- a terrible posture. I was, like, such, like, a tomboy jock athlete. and I would just hunch everywhere. <laughs> I still don't have great posture, but that was, like, something to force, you know, you thought about it. It was like, oh, i got to roll my shoulders back. Like, I have to have good posture. It was, like, standing super upright. Yeah. And what we'll tend to do, too, like, is... Hold our breath. And you suck your stomach in. So when oh, we totally. we create so much like tension and dysfunction in our bodies, trying to like look good, nobody really cares. But like butt out, tits out, suck it in, and you're just forcing this whole unnatural tension and unnatural posture for your body, and then you have to hold it and then walk. <laughs> it looks. <laughs> and feels so awkward, but we've just trained ourselves to do this because we think it's this aesthetically pleasing way that people want to see us or how we should look.
0: So what's funny to me hearing you say this, because the first time you said this, I was like, I felt called out. Like, (laughs) oh shit, I actually do that. Like on a daily basis, not just, so like just feeling like I have to um, tighten my abs and stomach to feel... In control, and I don't know if that's a dance background where like you're always like um, strengthening your core and holding your core in to stabilize the movements in your body and extremities. I don't know, but when you said that, I was like so conscious from that (laughs) point on. Anytime I walked, I'm like, why am I doing this? But it was so habitual at that point that like like relaxing, I was like. I, I, that felt unnatural because mm-hmm. it had been so long of tighten the core, like walk from a place of power in your center. And mm-hmm. I don't know where, I probably from dance, I got that, but that was like a big, like mind-blowing moment for me when you said that yeah. years ago.
2: Yeah. It, we. <sighs> Gosh, it could be from dance, it could be from any sort of sports practice, or just, you know, self-conscious women, you know, I I would do it, I would recognize when I was coaching, I'm like trying to suck in my gut if I just ate lunch, and I'm like, oh, gosh, and you're like, oh, hold it up, hold it tight, like, try not to let your gut just roll out, or, you know, <laughs> after a weekend of indulging, you just like, oh, yeah. well, my pants, you know, pull up those Lululemons up and over my My belly here, but it's, it's, it's totally behavioral for women. I think, I don't think men do it as much guys. You'll definitely see the puff out the chest, like, you know, throw the shoulders back. They walk like the Hulk, you know, trying to strut. Oh yeah. The strut that I'm an (laughs) alpha male. Let me show you how and (laughs) puff out the chest and same thing. We were just like, that looks terrible. Like nobody walks like that. Yeah. you You
0: have a cyborg look to yourself as you waddle. Yeah. I should say strut waddling might be a different thing. We'll save that for all of us who have ever been nine yeah, months that's pregnant. Yeah, that's I where like. I'm getting
2: to that waddle point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so, but at some point you will feel it. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about heels. And are heels involved in this posture setup for women?
2: They can be. So when we go into that that ass out, what happens is the pelvis rotates forward. We get this what's called an anterior tilt. And women are already predispositioned to an anterior tilt. That's just how we're designed. It's for labor and delivery. So the hips roll forward and kind of roll down, right? And then you can mm-hmm. feel that if you were just standing. So wearing heels, because you're up on your toes, it actually creates that, like if you just went to stand up on your toes, your pelvis would go through that anterior tilt. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's just the biomechanics of the body. So when you wear heels... Now, if you're a woman who already has a severely rotated pelvis, which some of us do, or behaviorally, you already roll the pelvis. So
0: far, I'm going check,
2: check. <laughs> so keep going. And then you throw yourself in heels. Mm-hmm. Now we're like, check, check, check. Yeah. And you're throwing this pelvis into this huge anterior tilt. And in order to stand upright... Your low back, your lumbar spine goes into this crazy lordosis. It goes into this curve, essentially, Mm -hmm. where you get that little low back roll. And we're compressing not only the facets and the joints, but we're compressing all of the tissue. It's like it shortens. If you wanted to stretch out your back, most of us would fall forward to stretch it out and you get that nice curve or that arch all throughout. But when you're upright, the spine actually goes through a wave. It's not straight up and down. Mm -hmm. Your thoracic spine is a little curved and it comes back and then we get that little lordosis curve of the low back. But when you have an anterior tilt, now you're just getting more. You're getting Mm -hmm. more lordosis, more of that pinching, more of that compressing of the spine and of those tissues on the low back and the top of the pelvis. And after a while... It does not feel good to walk that way because your your tissues are just cramped. We get yeah. a lot of cramping and low back pain. And then sometimes what happens is just the body gets used to it or we find different ways to adapt. But then when you go to wear flat-footed shoes or you go to do something like hike, which is the inverse, like going uphill is going to do the inverse of heels, right? Because your mm-hmm. feet are going to go uphill. All of a sudden you're like, whoa, my back is straining as I go through this because trying to go through emotion now that you haven't taught it to go through with that
0: flexion of the hips. Wow. So, okay. That's like bringing me back to these days when <laughs> I wore like four inch heels, eight hours a single day mm-hmm. for years.
2: I mean, I, I joke that like heels were invented by men so that we can't run away from them because <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of any woman who is, super stoked to wear heels all day, every day. Like, yeah. I know there are women, I personally don't know any who thoroughly enjoy that, but I, like, well, nobody.
0: But I will say this. The click, click of heels is a power move. And, like, if I need a little confidence boost, I'm like, throw some heels on. Walk a hundred yards and then I feel powerful. Oh yeah. Weird though because I actually <laughs> hate wearing them. So it's like just I want to like wear them like as I walk past people and then like take them off and wear flats yeah. because it's cozier.
2: Aesthetically, we look really good in heels because like you, you get the little calf pop. Like yes. i remember, like as a as an athlete like in college, massive calves and massive quads. You throw in a pair of heels, it's like bam, you're like hell yeah, like everything is just. Flex to the extreme, and it looks aesthetically really pleasing. Yeah, but this is why you like you go out to the bars for two hours, and you're wearing your heels, yeah. and you're feeling sexy, and then after two hours, you're like, these guys are coming off, and I'm walking home barefoot. Don't even care because my feet hurt so freaking bad. Yeah, because we've wedged them. They're traps. Oh my gosh, they're <laughs> such traps for your feet. As far as I can tell, I've never met anybody who has triangle toes or like pointed feet. Like when you're shoving your feet into stilettos. Like, no foot is designed like that to come to a point. But yeah. yet, here we are because they look good because nobody wants a Flintstone foot heel. Like, <laughs> that just
0: isn't a trick. Like. Well, but I have wide feet. So I already hated heels to begin with because yeah. there's nothing like they're just shoving you into this crazy narrow space. Mm-hmm. And then the pointed tops, and even if you get rounded toes, they're still crazy. And I had all sorts of. Issues that's yeah. almost a separate topic, and I know CJ just covered.
2: Oh yeah, going
0: barefoot through minimalist shoes. Um, but just for all the listeners out there who are going, check, check, check. I already have it. Um, an anterior tilt. Mm -hmm. I already walk in heels and I already experience some kind of back pain or stuck. I'm, I'm sucking my stomach in all the time and Mm -hmm. pushing my butt and my boobs out. Um, for women like that, like are you, would you advocate never wearing heels? What's sort of your gauge around that?
2: Heels are behavioral. We love them and we hate them. Like there's totally a time and place for heels. I'd just say if it's causing you pain though, why keep Doing it, you know, you can reverse it. Just like when we sit for long periods of time, we say, "Hey, you need to stand up and stretch." Yeah. Right? We need to do the reverse of sitting. You can do the reverse of walking in heels. You can wear flats. You can just—I mm-hmm. don't know—stretch your calves out, yeah. uh, <laughs> stretch out your hamstrings, stretch out the your quads. Actually, are going to do a lot of load bearing for you when you walk in heels because of that position. So you're going to have to work a lot on those. Your anterior tib, that front of the front shin muscle, essentially, is doing a lot to slow you down. So people don't realize your feet, when we go to like step forward, your toes come up. So we go into what's called dorsiflexion. We land, right? Your heel, heel goes down, Mm -hmm. toe comes up. You're never in that position when you're in heels. You are constantly in plantar flexion. So you are always hiking downhill while you were in heels, but you're on a flat surface. So your feet are Mm -hmm. always stuck in that funky position. So like you're just going to have to compensate in so many different areas. Now, you wanna wear heels, wear heels by all means. Like power me. Like you said, you can wear heels and be like, damn, I feel good. Like it's a power move. It is. But if your body hates you afterwards. That's not a power move. <laughs> yeah, not a power move. That's stupid. It's like, why do you keep touching the hot stove? Like
0: <laughs> there's so Okay, f- so say that you go, yeah, I get this. I'm totally resonating. I like the power move of heels, but I pay the price later. Hmm. Like what kind of things do you advocate for trainers to do with their clients or for our clients to be considering to help kind of reduce some of that stress? They're putting on their bodies. Yeah.
2: Um, foot mobility, calf mobility are some the big ones right off the bat. So, getting them out of that constantly called plantar flexed position where the toes are pointing down, like you're hiking downhill, it's mm-hmm. plantar flexion. Dorsiflexion is the opposite way. So, getting them into dorsiflexed positions, stretching out the calves is going to feel great. Because when we're stuck in positions for long periods of time, we shorten tissue, right? We can build gunkiness or those tissues just get stuck. Like I said, like if you're sitting, your hips are going to feel a little bit tight when you go to stand up. You're going to get the same response when you're in heels, just in different parts of the body. It might be at the ankle joint. It might be at the knee joint. It might be at the hip joint. You just Everybody's going to be a little bit different. So reversing that posture. Biomechanically, you can go and you can reverse that posture. Dorsiflexion, stretching out the calves, just like a good old traditional calf stretch. Stretching out the front hip, the back hip, so uh, Quads. Uh, psoas, hip flexor, hamstrings, glutes, all of that is going to need to be reversed. And then even doing things because you're in that anterior pelvic tilt that whole time, how do you reverse that? Is it good? Like, well, you can't necessarily reteach that for some women. And it's just how do you tweak and how do you alter how they train? One of the best things that we've gotten women to do that they don't even realize they're stuck in that anterior tilt. They can't they can't roll their pelvis. Is to do a cat cow. So if you mm-hmm. do yoga, get on the get it on right on your knees, on your hands, you're prone, and you're rolling not just the shoulders, but yeah. now you're rolling the hips. You're Arching your back, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we can get into that arch, like oh yeah, because that's your that's your position. <laughs> I'm so
0: sexy right <laughs> now. Check out my <laughs> arch. Yeah,
2: <laughs> ass out, tits up. Yeah, like, same
0: thing. There
2: is that. But then they go to flex and they're like, oh, yeah, I, I'm st- I, I'm stuck. I can't. I can't do this. Yeah.
0: It's almost painful too, like,
2: because you're rolling in. It can be, yeah. If you've never done it before or your hips don't know how to get there or we get the look like, am I doing it? <laughs> like, Yes, we're getting close. <laughs> but, you, like, I've had to actually physically, like, assist, like, FMR, hands on the hips and help roll them forward so and roll it. them back so that they can actually get that pelvis to go, oh, this is how we can do that because it'll just be more – motion than the hip or the low uh low back lumbar spine has ever done before. Not in a while.
0: This is good. Okay, so talk to me about if like what when you when you've done something for a prolonged amount of time, you normalize it. Whether it's normal or not, you identify it as this is just how I walk. Mm-hmm. And so when it, someone's listening to this going, "Well, shoot, now I need to rethink my entire walk." What kind of cues or how would you describe what to do to kind of get back into a more neutral, natural stance? Ooh, good question.
2: I always, I do, I do believe in kind of the barefoot movement um, and training your feet to do that. It's not super natural. If you're somebody who wears heels all the time or wears really supportive shoes, walking barefoot is going to be like starting a new workout program because it completely changes how everything reacts because as soon as your foot hits the ground there's this whole chain reaction that goes up up through the rest of the body so going barefoot is going to be a huge 180 from wearing heels all the time Mm -hmm. right so because again your foot has to have some free movement it has to Go through eversion, inversion, supination, pronation. Like you're just going to get all this ankle mobility, and it actually it's going to feel like a stretch for your calves. If you are constantly in heels, yeah, that's true. Just being flat footed is going to be this all new calf mobility and hip mobility for you. That's that's brand new. So starting there, like how do I change my walk? Like we're not going to change your walk nine times out of ten, but we can bring more awareness to it, and we can change your plane of motion for how you walk you know, working laterally, working in rotation, just to get joints moving a little bit differently. It doesn't mean we're going to change it as it goes, as you go into your normal walk going forward, but we're going to mobilize and retrain some of those and re-stimulate some of those tissues for how to have better movement patterns. Because there's you know, with three planes of motion, we know if we can train two planes better, you will inherently get better motion in the third plane. Hmm. It's a whole trifecta. That's pretty, pretty rad, but bare feet... I would encourage but if you're new to barefoot listen to your body there are so many muscles and joints within the feet that people forget that (laughs) it's just like starting a new workout program right we think we'll go do a bunch of squats haven't done them in a while like oh my gosh my legs are so sore my butt's so sore your feet are going to feel the same way but we tend to get scared when our feet feel sore that we should just go back to what was old but it's just no your feet just never have never experienced this before it's new movement for your feet they have to be trained that way.
0: Yeah, we have such an interesting relationship around discomfort. It's like, on one hand, you've got no pain, no gain. On the other hand, you have, oh, crap, that feels bad. I'm going to stop forever. Yeah. And it's like, wait a second. There's got to be something towards the center here that like understands you're creating new pathways, you're creating new patterns of movement, and there's going to be some anticipation that your body's not going to know because this is new. Your body's designed to protect, at least from what I've learned from you guys over the years. Yeah. And so as we're building that out, just anticipating that you're going to graduate your body into a new normal and it resists in the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So as I'm walking downtown, let's just play this out. I've got two little kids with me. I've got my flat shoes. They may not be minimalist, um, but they might just be flat shoes. Yeah. Um, But I'm still kind of contorting my back and sucking that stomach in, trying to look like a pinup girl as I walk downtown. (laughs) So what would you say, like, okay, start doing this. Like, is there anything that you have done yourself as you walk that has been like, okay, that was a really good analogy or that was a really good tip?
2: Breathe. Mm. Breathe because breathing's going to relax your system. Like deep breathing to just take those few deep breaths (sighs) just helps relieve tension in your body. So if you're holding tension – whether it's in your shoulders or in your core, just some deep breath work that's very intentional about your exhale. You're gonna feel your body just relax, and we're gonna go into this. We want to undulate when we walk. Walking should feel effortless. It okay, sh- what
0: is undulating? <laughs> I just gonna be devil's
2: advocate. Undulating, for a kind of that like swagger and sway, that natural flow of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, the best way I've heard undulating um, partially described, if you have ever watched UFC, Conor McGregor, mm-hmm. he does this funky like where he walks yeah. out. That is a dramatic yeah. form of undulating, right? His kind of, he's just flowing in and out of motion as you go through it. So if you've ever, you know, been on our Instagram or um, any of our social media pages, you've seen us do rope flow. Yeah. Right, that underhand we call figure eight. So just flowing right side to left side. I've literally, while I'm running, trying to relieve tension or just walking, will start that movement of kind of rolling my shoulders back, that opposite direction as I walk to get that undulating that starts in my upper half. And Hmm. that usually starts to this trickle-down effect where if I'm feeling tight in my upper back or my low back, as soon as I start to undulate, that just helps open everything up. And now I'm walking a little bit more freely. It's a little bit more effortless. And I relieve that tension. So it's just flowing.
0: Okay, so get into a movement flow. Easier said than done when you look like Bambi (laughs) all the time. (laughs) With this delicate little, like... (laughs) Tiptoe walk as you waddle your hips back and forth like Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> I feel like I see that all the time. And of course we live in a college town, so we get the joy oh, yeah. every fall of seeing all the brand new freshmen do their little like four inch heel Daisy Duke shorts oh, strut to the bars. And yep. we sit there and go, Oh, I remember those days.
2: <laughs> so thankful I'm not there. <laughs> So funny.
0: Um, this might be a good time to pause for a second and just bring in the sponsor to today's show, which actually is uh, Gymnasio EDU's coaching program called the Multidimensional Movement Coaching Program, which is the sponsor today. That's um, an intensive, almost three to four month program that a lot of trainers like to buy because it's a combination of education around biomechanics, behavioral science, and tying it all together to create a really dynamic and memorable. Merble Coaching experience primarily small group, but can also be leveraged for one-on-one. Or our favorite, which is semi-private, which is one coach to four athletes. And so that coaching program is something that we make available to the training community. And if you want more information about that, you can go to gymnazoedu.com. And we even have a quiz where you can take to figure out, based on where you are in your skill development as a coach, what education and mentorship programs we offer that could be the right fit for you as you're looking to curate, and level up in your career, and really build something you're proud of and standing out from the crowd. And so that's today's sponsor of the show, and so I just wanted to take a minute to, to put that one out there, and then we'll just cruise back in here to talking about sacrificing style for health. Talk to me about that, Kalina. How often is this a female thing, or is this just a human thing?
2: Um, I would say nine times out of ten, this is a female thing, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had, and like I said, some of it's behavioral, some of it is biological, but if you're a trainer and you've got a a female athlete who has chronic low back pain when they squat, especially weighted squats, like barbell back squats, look at their ankles, look at their calves and check that mobility, that ability to get through that load. And then ask them, do you wear heels a lot? Because again, when you're flat footed, if you're somebody who, well, when, like when you, sorry, when you are in flat shoes, minimalist mm-hmm. shoes and you're not in heels, that is going to be a stretch for your calves and a new range of motion for your calves that you, your body might not be used to. And if your calves can't, and your ankles can't go into that dorsiflexion, they can't flex. Like when you start a squat, it just trickles on up. And most of the time women are gonna go into that squat. They're gonna push their weight forward because we're Mm -hmm. also women are very, very quad dominant. So we're Mm -hmm. gonna throw our weight forward into our quads. We're not gonna bend through our ankles and our knees and we're gonna try and bend at our hips. And our hips are gonna roll right into that anterior tilt and you're gonna have this huge lordosis, this huge low back loading because the other thing that we're taught, especially with weightlifting, is to have a neutral spine, is to Mm -hmm. be upright. So we'll say, and we'll say like, hey, have that proud chest. Chest up, butts down to try and load into that. But for somebody who even has an anterior tilt to the pelvis, if you're trying to keep your chest up and roll your hips forward, they're going opposite directions. You're actually cranking onto that low back. Those vertebrae hate it and the low back tissue hates it. So I've actually had to reteach women that it's okay to have like a slight, slight lean forward forward. As they go through their squat, because now you're actually going to be, if somebody has an anterior pelvic tilt and they slightly lean forward with their chest, they're actually in that quote unquote neutral spine position Mm -hmm. where they're in that flat back and they have the stability through their core, through their hips, and then they can get their hips low and they go, oh my God, my back pain's gone.
0: Yeah, makes a big difference.
2: Huge difference, just teaching somebody how to lean forward slightly because we've never been told that it's okay, Mm -hmm. especially for women because most traditional fitness is designed for the male body and male pelvis. Men don't have that anterior tilt. They're just, they're these, just these little cute suckers that just are perfectly level <laughs> that rarely have that anterior tilt to them. Yeah. Uh, and so they can get into that and that's no problem for them to keep that chest up super proud and to drop the hips down. But for women, it can be a lot harder, especially if you've had kids. Yeah. See that a lot. And we're super afraid to bend over from the upper half to actually lengthen through that tissue. And you tend to see more low back pulls because that tissue doesn't even know how to lengthen anymore. When you're stuck in that pelvic tilt, when you're stuck with that chest up and you're compressing all that tissue, it literally doesn't even know how to bend over and doesn't know how to lengthen. So we hmm. think like bending over, you're still stretching out all those tissues in the low back and or all, all, all along that posterior chain. But we, we don't think about like... I don't think proper form if I go to tie my shoe. I'm just bending over to tie my shoe. Yeah. Your
0: kid spilled milk and is about to face plant off the counter. And like you go and do this <laughs> dive bomb move. You're not thinking about your body and how your form is. You're reacting. And you're that's how for me as a mom, I threw things out because I was doing random stuff and not thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And your body only does what you train it to do, which is why I love gymnasium so much because we train the funky and we train flexion for what it's going to look like in real life. Now, if we're talking like heavy, heavy loads, like traditional Olympic lifting, yeah, you're going to want better technique and better form. But um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say most of us aren't in our day-to-day life going to Deadlift the grocery cart full of 145 pounds worth of groceries. Like you're gonna, you know, that's yeah. just not gonna happen. But I need to have the mobility to be able to bend over and tie my shoe or catch my kid as they fall off the couch. Yeah, you know, because you're not gonna go. Time out, guys, I'm going to hit this neutral spine, knee, knee over my toes kind of deal. Like you're just going to do what you have to do. And you need to train your body to do that.
0: Well, that reminds me of athletes too. And so often, I mean, I know that's a topic you care deeply about, but so often what we ask uh, players to do as a gut reaction, like quick thought moment, quick pivot and twist on a field, we don't train in the gym. And I know that's really another topic for an amazing new episode, but it did, it did bring that up for me too. There's yeah. a lot of ways that we, uh, through traditional training may not be supporting the goals of our clients
2: mm-hmm. or through traditional training where we encourage somebody to keep hurting themselves or to keep pushing through quote unquote discomfort. That's really pain. So like yeah, when we like have an this alert system, yeah, like oh, just work through that low back pain. But anywhere else in life, we don't encourage people to always work through that kind of pain. Like I kind of ask people, like, well, when you touch the hot stove and you like burn your hand, do you touch it again to just see what's going to happen, or like, be like, well, I'll just get through this. Let me grab onto that hot plate one more time. We don't do it because pain is a sensor for your body to to. It's a warning, right? To stop doing this. Like injury is going to happen eventually. So it's the beauty of modifications. Like you can modify to work with somebody who either has, maybe it's a mobility issue, maybe it's a stability issue, but you shouldn't be encouraging somebody to push through pain necessarily, especially chronic pain. I think that's where a lot of the misconception comes from, like the no pain, no gain, where we've changed it to no fatigue, no fitness is one that I've used. Oh, I like that one. Because we're looking for that fatigue state. Like when you're going, oh my gosh, my arms are dead from all these push-ups." That fatigue, that burn, the burn of like, I can do one more, I can do three more push-ups. It's just my muscles are fatigued. That's the like pain, no gain portion. But if you're like, my shoulder is on fire, like this hurts the second that I... I lift it without weight, that's not that's not the same thing.
0: Ooh, that's really good. That the, should be its own topic, <laughs> of course. I always like have these episodes and then I think of like six more episodes that we could build <laughs> off and that's just sort of how it goes.
2: We touched a little bit on that with uh with Goose and CJ good. on measuring pain, like what we need to work through or not work through, but
0: Yeah, but fatiguing versus um, your your tissue screaming at you yeah. is really a profound distinction mm-hmm. that I think a lot of coaches instinctively might know in their own bodies as athletes um, because a lot of trainers are in their bodies figuring out their thresholds and working with that and then trying to apply it to these clients. But maybe those clients aren't as body in tune. They don't know what it feels like. So Mm -hmm. how do we describe it in a way that meets them where they're at and Mm -hmm. where, what they understand? Yeah.
2: And not just that too, but my body is different than your body. Yeah. How I've trained my body is different than your body. So my level of discomfort and your level of discomfort are going to come from two totally different places. So if you're somebody who has low back pain with squatting, and so do I, but they could be stemming from totally different areas. Mine Mm -hmm. could be because I have, you know, weak hamstrings or I just don't have good form. And yours could be because your calves are so tight from wearing heels all the time that you physically can't get that to load. So you're compensating through your low back. I mean, there's so many different um, scenarios. There's so many different dysfunctions that are caused by different things. There's not Like, oh, this is caused by this and this will fix that or just push through it and you're going to be okay.
0: So a lot of different practitioners that I've seen, chiropractors, physical therapists and massage therapists to pick on three, all told me that my pelvis pelvic tilt was too dramatic. And, or I needed to relearn how to walk, which is my, like, okay, thank you. I'll never see you again. What do you mean relearn how to walk? Like, I'm a grown-ass woman. I'm not going to relearn how to walk. Yeah, Concept, I get... But literally the guy expected me to, like, learn how to rewalk, and I was not bought in on that. Um, but I've also had, like, chiropractors and uh, physical therapists basically, like, say that my entire structure is compromised by this tilt. And then you show up to your workout, and you're super self-conscious now because not only have you just been told, like, You look funky, which just adds to the behavioral trauma of your strut down the street because now you're like, oh God, I look like a duck with my (laughs) ass sticking out and I can't even help it. This is not even conscious at this point. Like what's going on here? So what do you say when it comes to trainers? So trainers helping their clients and the client tells them almost that same scenario. Like they've seen all these practitioners and they're basically like SOL unless you relearn how to walk or you, you like jar your structure in such a way that it gets realigned magically. Like, what is a train? What kind of um, encouragement could trainers experience? on like, what's their territory in this? And like, how can they affect change? Where maybe some of those others weren't so good. We run into this problem all the time. Like, my doctor told me this.
2: My chiropractor told me that. Da 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 da. And I kind of use I ask questions to kind of let people come to their own conclusion. I'm like, okay, well, does this motion bother you? Like, we we get mm-hmm. down to like the movement specifics that does this action cause pain or do you feel okay doing it or does it get worse as we continue the dysfunction so if I put you into more of a tilt more of a tilt more of a tilt does your back hurt more and more and more y- yes okay great so we're gonna have to not necessarily reteach you how to walk but we're gonna re-stimulate your muscles to learn how to work better for you because so often we see This proprioceptive shutdown, where essentially muscles don't work the way that they're supposed to work. So with when we talk about some of the chiropractic work, like people go to get adjusted every two weeks. Mm -hmm. But what moves the bones?
0: Muscle tissue.
2: Muscle will move the bones. So like if like if I said, okay, Peyton, go ahead and move your femur, like rotate your femur, you'd be like, (laughs) I can't do that. But you would use muscles to rotate your femur, essentially. So the muscles pull our bones at least under my, my understanding, somewhat out of alignment, okay? Mm-hmm. So you have to not just – that's why you have to go get adjusted every two weeks because we're, we're treating the bones. We're not treating the muscle. Some chiropractors do soft tissue work, and they will retrain the muscles, which is way better. But if you're only seeing a chiropractor who just tweaks your bones every two weeks – and you feel good. And then two weeks later, you're like, I feel like crap. Well, that means that the muscles aren't working the way they're supposed to. And so things are going to get out of whack because it's just, it's behavioral. Like you're going to walk how you're going to walk. <laughs> it takes too much freaking effort to think I need to relearn how to walk. Okay. Well, each step. So when you're a trainer and you have this, you know, get down to the nitty gritty of what's causing that dysfunction. Is it because their anterior hip doesn't work? Is it because their but doesn't evert? Is it because it's a behavioral thing? Is it just lack of awareness? Maybe they have an old injury that they didn't even think about. Through yeah, this. they're just
0: compensating.
2: Man, so often you hear, you know, I've, I've had this weird like left low back pain for like a couple years now. And okay, you dive into some health history and you find out they had knee surgery on their right knee. Five years ago, and you're like, okay, well, when did your back pain start? Uh, about five years ago. And you're like, yeah, you probably have been walking funny mm. because you wanted to take pressure off your knee, so your hips had to adjust differently, your foot had to adjust differently, and now it's just all resonating at your low back. I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. We go in, we do our movement assessment, and again, like MDMC program does a great job of teaching you how to work with clients, but how learning these skills for how to assess movement. Mm-hmm. And then saying, hey, great, how do we go from here? Maybe we need to work on that right hip doesn't work the way that it's supposed to, and so you're compensating. So it's it's not, I wish it was an easy answer.
0: No, but that's why so many super smart trainers um, sidestep these scenarios with clients because we don't think it's our territory. Yeah. And, or they're super smart, but maybe they're just missing a couple problem-solving pieces.
2: Yeah. So I, I always get down to just like, prove it to the client, let the client feel it and understand it mm-hmm. and let them make that decision and say, okay, well, like, does, does your back hurt anymore? Yeah. N- n- no, like super. So, <laughs> so keep doing that yeah, for so, a week and
0: see how it sustains.
2: Exactly. So then yeah. you put it into their hands and say, you can make the decision on what you feel like is best for you. Some people who like going to the chiropractor. That's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with going to the chiropractor. But if it's this yeah. perpetual problem, people are frustrated with it, yeah. that I have to keep going back. Well, guess what? It's probably something else. Like, we can yeah. work on something else. Obviously, that's not the one stop shop for you.
0: Well, it's so interesting with chiropractors, too, from what I understand, is like they'll say, like, we're treating the pr- um, the problem n- to reduce symptom, but they see problem as bone structure. And we look at it from our perspective going, it's part of the problem but why is it the problem what got it to be the problem to begin with mm-hmm. because it shouldn't be just moving around like this in your daily life mm-hmm. and so that's where we go that is a problem there's a bigger problem behind that mm-hmm. which is what's the tissue doing to push it out of alignment and can we solve that yeah simultaneously beforehand after there's no other option etc and that's sort of where we come in with that mm-hmm. All right, so as we're kind of wrapping up, I have a just bringing it back to orthotics. I know we haven't talked about orthotics. So like a lot of women maybe experiencing some of this foot pain go to the foot doctor and say, or maybe it's not foot pain. They're just experiencing postural pain and they get kind of this, "Hey, my friend recommended I go get inserts mm-hmm. because she has inserts mm-hmm. in her Hoka or hookah whatever those Mm -hmm. massive ridiculous looking shoes no offense if you wear them but um they do look hysterical like moon boots but um says the girl who once wore like barefoot toe socks (laughs) like the frog socks at one point so that's that's kind of ironic but um what would you say for them thinking like just an insert's gonna solve the problem i mean it can
2: structurally quote-unquote balance you out you know if some of us have like leg discrepancies but is it really a a structural bone leg discrepancy, or do you have really tight muscles that make it appear that you're just lopsided mm. on one side, um, where you need where you need that heel insert. Now, I have the world's flattest feet. <laughs> I, it's like Kansas. It sounds like a duck when I walk. Like you just get slap, 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 slap uh, <laughs> along the pavement. And I was told, or have been told by several people, oh, you should have tried orthotics to like give myself an arch. But I distinctly remember growing up and wearing like, a, like a, a shoe that had a built-in arch and my foot hated it. It just immediately caused my feet pain. It was super uncomfortable to walk, super uncomfortable to run. And I was like, well, I don't want to do this. So I just went back to bare feet and I had no issues with bare feet. But I also had this problem where I couldn't point my toes. I would have never made it as a dancer. I couldn't point my toes because my feet would cramp so bad in the arch of my foot. And it's because those tissues were constantly lengthened Hmm. when they're flat. So they didn't know when you point your toes, you shorten that tissue. It's like flexing. Mm -hmm. I couldn't flex my feet (laughs) and they would just cramp, which I figured this out like after starting at gymnasium, like, oh my gosh, you just need to like work those tissues and mobilize them so that, and train that motion of doing that. But orthotics don't work for everybody and it can treat part of the problem, but it's not going to treat the whole problem. And as somebody who had crazy, man, I have torn seven ligaments between both of my ankles from soccer, years of soccer. And I had just really like unstable feet and Mm -hmm. unstable ankles. And I had this idea that I needed to be in a supportive shoe. Mm -hmm. And so, but when you have gunky ankles that lack stability or that, that, are locked up, right, they don't move really well, and you stick them in a really, really supportive shoe, you're locking up your ankle even more, and you're locking Mm. up your foot even more. So when you have a locked up ankle in a locked up shoe, your body's gonna have to get that mobility when you walk, when you run, from somewhere else in your body, like your knee or your hip. So, and the way we look at it is, your foot should be a mobile joint, your knee should be a stable joint and your hip should be a mobile joint. Mm. So we have mobility, stability, mobility. So again, if you lock up your ankle and you lock it up in a shoe, most people will start to see knee pain, which is exactly what happened to me. So orthotics can treat part of the problem. But if you are, gosh, if you want to, and you don't feel like you can move, sometimes people have been like, well, my orthotics, you know, one, they're painful. I got to take them out of my work shoe and mm-hmm. into my running shoe, and you know, it's kind of okay, but you know, I can't move really well in them, or I can't cut. And it's because well, you've you've changed the the mechanics of what's happening at your ankle joint, where you've locked it into a certain position, right? Because mm-hmm. the orthotics are going to put your foot into a certain position, which is only f- functional for. That position, Mm -hmm. but your foot should have to roll through motion, not just be locked in one position. So orthotics can work for some, I would say they don't work for most or again, they treat the symptom, they don't treat the problem overall. So we've had a lot, like I switched to, I was so stubborn. CJ knows this. I was so stubborn to switch to Vivos.
0: It's part of your charm. It is. You're the inherent skeptic.
2: (laughs) I am. I needed like, (laughs) I needed data. I needed science that said like, no, this is right. Other than like CJ was like, oh, this is cool and trendy and I'm just barefoot. (laughs) And (laughs) And
0: stargazing or (laughs) sungazing. Yeah, sungazing and (laughs) and
2: earthing. We're such different creatures, but like you're so (laughs) rad. We're just on such different levels. Um, that's so good. But I switched to the barefoot shoes Mm -hmm. and my poor gunky locked up ankles started to get some much needed mobility back. Yeah. And my knee pain went away within four to six weeks, like drastically reduced. Cause I used to have, I had really gunky ankles. I had to tape my ankles, right? Like for soccer, if you're trying to cut and they're, if they're shocked and they have no stability, you tape them up. So my ankles were always taped so that they didn't have any motion. So inherently, I taught my feet, my ankles to be really good, just locked up. Yeah. And then when it came to the real world, it just didn't apply.
0: Well, do you remember when I was getting a Taylor bunion after yeah. Jackson? Yeah. So yep. my second pregnancy, and all of a sudden, I'm wearing these super cute mom shoes called Pons. I don't know, maybe in three months you'll be like, I'm wearing the mom shoe. But these are like, <laughs> ooh, I'm like hippie California, stylish mom. Look, I don't even try. I'm so cool. And I was like, of course, I should have these shoes, which is, of course, where the vanity and behavioral stuff starts to really get us sidetracked. But it was really, like it was like putting a lot of pressure around my very wide foot, around the, um, was it the pad of my foot? Mm-hmm. And so I was squishing it and I would go in these long walks for like an hour with the baby, wearing the baby, so now extra weight and chasing a toddler around. And this was my daily thing. And within like two months, I had a full Taylor bunion popping out on my right foot and I could I would cry in pain with these shoes or any shoes that were like really confining around the width of my foot. And um, I remember complaining to you about it and you were like, you just need to wear barefoot shoes. Like I swear it's going to help you. And I was like, oh God, it can't be that simple. And I don't know why I was like, that's too obvious. Let me just go on vacation in my super cute brand new um, flip flops or not even flip flops because those might actually have been better but like more constraining sandals around the middle part of my foot. And I go to Mexico and then I'm like walking barefoot on the beach. And I have this moment where I look in the sand and there's this warped ass footprint in the sand. And I look (laughs) at Michael and I'm like, damn, somebody has like a really funky foot. And Michael looks at me like you lack so much self-awareness, you (laughs) sad little person. And he looks at me, he's like, those are your footprints in the sand. And I was like, Horrified, <laughs> And it was this moment of, damn it, okay, I need to go get these barefoot shoes and, like, get on the board, board with it. And now I wear Vivos, and they make a huge difference. And that Taylor bunion is gone. Yeah. And I'm wearing Ponds again. So I'm back in my Keep Mom shoe. I just won't go on long walks in them. And I won't wear them for more than, like, an hour. Yeah. It's crazy.
2: It is. And, I mean, that's, like, with heels, too. Why so many women get bunions with heels? Because it's the same thing. It squishes that toe box. Yeah. And it just... You know, like I, I remember like my pinky toe would just be like layered on top of that that ring yep, finger toe, totally. and it just like stuck there. And you're like, oh well, that's just that's just how that lives now. And mm-hmm. like you just don't think otherwise until you switch to something else. You're like, oh, oh my God. my toes are supposed to spread apart. Actually, when I'm barefoot, like it's it's wild how those we don't we treat our feet so poorly. Yes, or we, we just do. we just don't think about them as being like a muscle or some sort of like part of our body that needs to be loved and appreciated, even though we abuse them so much. Like, Well,
0: I'm laughing because I've heard so many people go, I just got the bad genes of my grandma's feet. Yeah. And it's like... Did you, though? Because in my family, we would, like, circle up and, like, practice trying to get that little pinky toe in our foot to, like, spread out. And everybody would like, oh, you have my feet. You have my feet. It's like, mm. no, we just all wear heels. We have literally <laughs> shoved our feet into these heels. Is it really genetic or is it terrain? Like, we train them in these horrible shoes. Yeah. Um, and I remember my great aunt looking at me and being like, you've just got my, my feet. And I like looked at her feet horrified because she's like these horrible bunions (laughs) and like they're fully in that permanent heel position, these toes. And I'm like, that is not good. I need to reverse that. Oh, totally.
2: (laughs) Well, just like wedge them into, and like for somebody who doesn't have arches, I would die going into heels because heels are, they're sloped and you're like, your toes are, your toes are extended, but then you have this arch and I was like, why don't they make heels with just like a piece of plywood that's just flat so that my feet could walk in heels. But you're just in this, such this unnatural cramped foot position. It's so miserable. Like your feet desperately want to relax. Like when Mm -hmm. you, when you step down, your foot is supposed to expand Like, if they think of them, they're, like, landing pads. Yeah. It's always, like, the coolest. But if you think of, um, like, cat paws, Mm -hmm. when they step, you can physically see all their little toes. They just land, and it's this big paw pad because they need that support, right? Everything spreads out so that they're stable. But for whatever reason, as humans, we've decided, why would we need support? Let's wedge it into something that has... (laughs) dime-sized stability point on those stiletto heels. I know, And then true. just the forefoot, you know, just the forefoot like two points of contact should be enough. Yeah. Like, and try to walk like that. My
0: life isn't challenging enough. I think I should wear heels. Yeah. And walk around in those for a while. If
2: heels were natural, we would all, we wouldn't have to practice walking in them. Like, do you oh, remember so as a teenager true. putting them on and walking in those?
0: Oh, well, I would actually practice as if I would be on a catwalk ever in my
2: life. Like, as if, <laughs> that was actually going to be my future, i like, the right mentality. you know,
0: I am only 5'5", five, five, but it's for sure going to be me. And like in high school, I'd be like, let me just get like the, the hips to go the perfect way. And then yeah. I'm like jazz dancing my way in heels for, for present or performances and horrible.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But that's why we're not good at them because our bodies are not designed to walk in heels well. Like it is a full on trained behavior that we are doing.
0: All right. Final question. As we talk about sort of the behavioral side of how we shove our bodies into postures, positions, and footwear uh, to look and appeal to our to other humans and our inner egos I and think. our inner egos for sure. Because we've we've said I have to be this to be valued, loved, et cetera. Like, what are your personal feelings on on that? And if you were Talking directly to the hearts of listeners that go, shoot, I kind of feel like I need heels to feel good about myself. What would your message be? Such a good question. Um, You don't
2: need heels to look good. That comes from the inside out for sure. Having that internal conversation of what makes you not look good, but feel good. You know, and and that's that. Take I think that takes a little bit more digging in, a little bit more self reassurance and, and self confidence. Um, but self confidence is not anything that anyone can give to you. Hmm. Like self confidence is fully something you give yourself. So having that that little internal conversation of I don't need these heels to feel good, or even asking yourself like Do I feel good after I wear them, or does this cause me anxiety? Then no, it's probably not worth it to go through that. Um, my husband had asked me. <laughs> One time he was like, "Hey, like, how come you don't wear heels anymore?" And my husband's six one. He's he's a tall guy, like, and I'm five five on a good day. <laughs> so he was like, "I kind of like when you were heels because you're you know like almost eye height with me." And I was like, "Babe, we got married. I don't have to wear heels anymore." <laughs>
0: I've retired retired <laughs> trying to land a mate for life move. You know,
2: and if it's causing you pain and you like wearing heels, everything in moderation, just mm-hmm. like honestly anything else. Or change the type of heels you wear. Wear a wedge. Wedge at least has a little bit more support on them um, than, than say like a stiletto. Mm-hmm. But finding finding another way to get that height that you're looking for but not destroying your body in the process of doing that.
0: And then any parting wisdom for trainers who are listening to this, resonating with this, going, oh my gosh, you just described 40% of my clientele, and maybe they don't have mobility worked in, or they don't have some of the things that we've stumbled across in gymnasium that have really helped us in our training program. Like, what things would you say, okay, if that describes your clients, these are some of the things I would have you do in your training programs, or style. Yeah. Well, like you
2: said, if you have that client who, who does that incorporating some sort of mobility, but you can disguise mobility. That's kind of the fun thing. You can, you can just tweak your position or tweak the action to where you say, okay, I'm looking for this, this exact angle at your foot joint. There are a thousand different ways that you can get that angle at that foot joint and disguise it with weights or with loading. It doesn't have to be intense loading, but you could do different sorts of lunges. You can go into different planes of motion. You can use a wood wedge. We use wood wedges all the time. I love it. It's super fun and functional for even if you have somebody who's preparing to do like a snowboarding trip, they have to go downhill. Doing squats on something like that or somebody Hmm. who needs to go hiking, you have to get them going uphill, using wood wedges to get that ankle. And essentially you're pre-positioning them for Mm -hmm. success or failure, you know, it depends on how you do that. But you can disguise mobility and you can disguise joint biomechanics through exercise. You don't have to say, we're going to totally stop everything because you need to foam roll and stretch your calves only. Like that's not going to be what your client wants. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to you need to have, you know, sneak it in there. It's kind of the coolest way to do that. But um, if you've got a client who really wants to fix that, give them homework. When most of our clients, if we see them one time a week, guess what? We're not going to undo the damage that they did all week. They need to do something at home and you're going to provide more value to them Mm -hmm. and they'll keep coming back for more because if they do their homework and they go, you took away my knee pain, you took away my back pain, Mm -hmm. you just, you just grew exponentially in their world and gained so much more credibility because you said, by the way, I want you to do five minutes of this exercise every single day or take your heels off, do this immediately after you're done taking your heels off when you get home. Hmm. Be something simple as just like foam rolling your calves and stretching your calves. Yeah. You know, and that changes all of a sudden their perception of you, and that changes their perception of how they treat their body.
0: And just another to add to that. I know I love what you guys do after your one-on-one sessions at Gimnazos. You always film homework yeah. in video form, describing it because it's it's so classic that people go, "Okay, yeah, I'll do it." And they walk out and just like from a client perspective, it's like, "Oh shoot, I forgot what they said. I think it was something about this doorway and like moving <laughs> in this funky way and you're like, "Ah, oh, forget it. I'm just going to go watch Netflix." Yeah. And it's like, but if you have something super quick and easy, then it removes the friction to actually following through. And that that also gets a lot of, of people. People will pay for results. Yeah. And sometimes just that hour, like you said, isn't going to be enough to reverse the damage. And mm-hmm. we're, we're habit stacking. We're trying to make small shifts on top of one another over time to create exponential results. So
2: Yeah, and the video is great too. Like you said, people leave here and they totally forget what you said. But there's an accountability piece of it too, the next time they come back to see you. Because they don't have an excuse for – Why didn't you do your homework? Oh, I forgot. It's in your phone. Yeah. So (laughs) if you you are coming to me and you are complaining about your back pain and your knee pain, I gave you some homework to do. You didn't do any of it for the last week. That's not our responsibility per se. Like you have to, that self-ownership of that is hu- is a huge piece of it.
0: Uh, to all our listeners, this is why Kalina goes by coach <laughs> in the back <laughs> office with all the team because she is a tough one when it comes to taking personal responsibility for your results and people love her for it. So there you go. Thank you so much for being with me today and talking about all the postural concerns with women around behavioral issues and trying to look our best so we can feel our best. Versus feeling our best so that we can present ourselves with more confidence naturally. I love it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Hey y'all, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please share it with your fitness obsessed friends and peers who are also navigating this world of fitness and trying to succeed through the trends and misinformation. As you guys can see, this podcast is basically a masterclass for trainers wanting to level up in their coaching skills and their fitness business model. Relaunches in 2020 because you and your fitness tribe deserve to see an unfiltered look at all the aspects of what it takes to stand out as a next generation coach and build a successful fitness business. So, Share it far and wide. And please, when you do, do me a favor. Take a screenshot of this screen and share it to your social media accounts. And use the hashtag Podcast. That's hashtag Podcast. That way we can see you and share your post with our audience. And finally, when you're ready to go to the next level as a coach or in your business, And to reach more people, please go check out GymnazoEDU.com. We have put together the best 90-day coaching program on the market for trainers wanting to become a masterful practitioner and build a business that gives them the freedom and impact. So let us help you do just that. We have online training and one-on-one coaching to guide you through a full 90-day certification. We even get you training our clients live because it's always better to work out your kinks on someone else's clients than yours. But we promise you this, your clients will be blown away by the transformation our program will help you make. You'll be masterful at a whole new level and part of an incredible community of coaches worldwide taking their skills to the next level. So if you thought today's episode had some fire to it, and inspired you to take action, wait until you see what we deliver on this program. So just go to gymnazoedu.com and we'll see you on the other side. Remember that turning your passion for fitness into transformation and sustainable business is critical to reaching the people and lives you were put on earth to help. It matters and truly can make an impact in other people's lives. So I hope you do that. Keep sharing your passion and we'll talk to you soon.